We'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his friend and fellow worker. It's Timothy. Paul writes really for two key reasons. We've seen it over and over. It is to encourage Timothy to stand for Christ, to fulfill the ministry that, uh, that he has, but it's also to instruct the church at Ephesus. They would know how to function. Now, in the last section of the letter, which is pretty powerful, it is a subject that, that every one of us, Every one of us can deal with. He talks about materialism and money and possessions and contentment and all those things. And last time we saw the truths about being content and the warnings about being wanting to be rich and and loving money and those kind of things. And this morning we're going to talk about how to deal with this. In fact, in this passage, Paul gives us five things that we can do so that we can have victory over materialism and that we can grow in our Christian lives. Let me show you something that is the truth. Our goal. Our goal is not only to know and understand Paul's instructions, but is to make application in our lives as well. The reason that we study the Scripture is not just to know the Scripture. In fact, it is to make application of the Scripture. That is the key. So may we be able to do that. I hope we understand how to deal with materialism as we look at this passage. Now, let me start with something that you may, may not have thought about. You know, we're living in what the Bible calls the last days or the last times. And, and people say things like, well, you think we're in the last days? And as can mean, can Jesus come back soon? What do you think? Well, the truth is this. Anytime after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're in the last days. That's based on Hebrews chapter 1. When you think about the last days, we think about the return of our Savior. Sometimes there's confusion. In fact, for a lot of people, there's confusion. And they mix up the time that we call the rapture, that's just coming in the clouds for the church, with the second coming, and that's when he comes to this earth. So let me remind you of something as we get started this morning. I'll show you why in just a minute. But let's think about the comings of Christ. There are two comings of Jesus Christ to the earth. I want you to understand, first of all, the first coming to the earth, he came, he left the glories of heaven. Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman. So at the first coming, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, became a human being. He was born in Bethlehem. His purpose was to come and to die. He went down the cross, paid for sin, and rise again. That's the first coming of Christ to the earth. There is a second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. It's found in Revelation 19, verse 11. The heavens open. Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes to this earth and sets up a kingdom from Jerusalem and rules as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the second coming to the earth. Now, there's something else. There is another coming of Jesus Christ, which which is in between these two comings, which we call the rapture. He comes in the clouds. Jesus Christ comes in the clouds to the earth, uh, in the in the clouds, and the believers, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior of the church, we are taken off the face of the earth. Sometimes people get them confused, but that's the way it is. So let me give you a summary. First coming of Jesus Christ to the earth was to, to come to die. The second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth is to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In between those two comings, because Jesus came almost two thousand years ago to die for us, He has not come a second time to rule and reign. He's going to come in the clouds and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and reign will be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. That's called the rapture. We'll be taken off the face of the earth. There are no signs for the rapture. It can happen any second. Now the reason I brought this up is because as we study this passage this morning, Paul charges Timothy to live a faithful life as he awaits the appearing of of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's dealing with the rapture. 
And that's the same thing we're waiting for. We can make the same application. We could say, listen, we want to live faithful lives as we are awaiting the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he talks about that. We can apply these truths. We want to be faithful in the same way. So as we see this passage this morning, we're going to see the charge to Timothy. We're going to be talking about contentment and money and riches and how in the world can we have victory over these things. Well, let me let me show you something that's really amazing because in this passage, these little verses that we're going to look at this morning, Paul gives us five things that we can do so we won't fall into the danger of materialism because it is out there. In fact, if you remember, last time he said, those who want to get rich, that's verse 9, fall into temptation and snare. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So there's a danger in our country because we're the richest people in the world. Even our poor people are rich compared to everybody else. And so there's this pull, this pull of materialism. So how do we deal with it? Look look what he does in these five verses. First of all, verse 11, he says, flee these things. We'll talk about what they are. Then in verse 11 also, last part of verse, he says, pursue these things. We'll talk about what the things are. Then he says, fight the good fight. That's verse 12. Also, grab hold of eternal life. Now, I'm going to answer that because you say, well, J.B., I thought we already had eternal life when we believe in Jesus Christ. At the moment we believe in him, we have eternal life. What does he mean, grab hold of eternal life? I'll explain it to you when we look at the verse. And then finally, he says, keep the commandment. Now, it's a little bit unusual because a lot of times when you see something, you think he's going to say, keep the commandments, plural, but it's not. It's singular. We'll talk about why he wrote it that way and how he did it. So there's a lot that we can see just in those verses this morning. Now, let me put together the entire passage for you that we've been seeing. And verses 6 through 10, which is what we saw last time, he talked about contentment, the attitude to have and to want and and what happens when we lack contentment and all that kind of thing. Then the passage today, and we're only going to really look at 6, 11 through 15, really the very first of 15. We'll get more of that next time. But this section deals with contentment and how do we live a contented life, holy life for God. And then the last part of our study, which will be the next week or two, we're going to see verses 17, 18, and 19. He talks about riches. How should we use our riches? And he talks about riches and ministry. So there's a lot in these passages. Now, last time we saw the greatest truth, and that is uh, dealing with God's word about contentment and riches. I want to give you a, just a flow. And remember, uh, last time we were, looked at verses 6 through 10, there is a, contentment is a key for every one of us in this room. We live in the richest nation in the world. We have everything. We are pulled every day, all day long. Every commercial, every TV, every, every magazine, every newspaper, there's something pulling us, telling us we want this, we need this, we should get this, you shouldn't have that, you should have this, over and over. We're pulled that way. You may say, I don't feel pulled that way. It's because the truth is that unless we're consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will be unconsciously conformed to this world. And that's what's happening to most of us. We are being conformed to the patterns of this world, the views, the values, the dreams, the pulls of this world. It's shaping us, and we don't even realize it. You have to consciously decide that you're going to live by the Word of God, and you're going to be transformed. When you do that, you won't be conformed. Well, anyway, that's what's going on. Well, let me show you. Let me just give you a quick review of what we saw last time. We saw, first of all, we must learn to be content. Paul talked about that. He says, you know, contentment uh, is, uh, is great gain. Godliness is great gain with, with contentment. Paul even talked about in chapter 4, verse 11 of Philippians, that he learned to be content. Contentment is not something that's natural for us. We have a natural bent to sin, a natural bent to want more and more and more, and to contentment is, is uh, something that we have to learn. Contentment has two parts to it. We saw it in verse 7 and 8. In verse 7, we realize that everything we have comes from God. In verse 8, everything that we need comes from God. We saw that in verses 7 and 8, and then he gives us the danger. 
the danger of materialism, and he gave us two things. One, those who want to get rich, that's verse 9, and then verse 10, the love of money. And we talked about this last week. In verse 9 it says, but those who want to get rich fall into a temptation. The temptation is to want more and more, and a snare. The snare is to think these things belong to you, and many foolish and harmful desires that you begin to love things more than you love God. If you say that you want to be rich, you're going to live a sad life. Because riches will never bring contentment. You'll never be happy. It'll be more and more and more and more. That's what he says. The second part is the love of money. He said, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. There's nothing wrong with money. Having money is fine. But to love money will, is the root of all sorts of evil. And it will, it will actually cause you, if you're not careful, to move away from the faith. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means that you move away from the truths of God's word. And so one of the questions that we ask each other, do we desire to be rich? Do we love material things? Are we going after these? things the results will be sorrow and sadness and ruin so how can we keep ourselves in the richest nation in the world being pulled every day how can we have victory in this how can we do it how can we keep ourselves from falling into this trap well he gives us five things I showed those verses a while ago. Let me show you the five things, and we'll go into more detail in a minute. He says to flee. He says to pursue. He says to fight. He says to grab hold. And he says to keep the commandment. Those five things, we'll see them as we go through these verses, and we'll make application as we do it. The first one, he says, if we're going to keep from being pulled by all this material stuff and getting caught up in it, first thing we do is we flee. He says in verse 11, notice what he says, But flee from these things, you man of God. To flee, he's saying flee, and if you look in the context, it's flee from materialism, flee from the love of money, flee from that desire to be rich. It only causes destruction, and he literally says in the Greek, keep on fleeing, get away from this. It is so easy to be pulled by things, and he basically says you've got to get away from this. You've got to decide that you're not going to let this pull you. You've got to get away. There's a great truth that empty, empty is the life that is filled with nothing but things. You've got to get away from it. You cannot let this capture you. You've got to run from this pull of all of those kind of things. There, The Bible tells us there are a number of things that believers are to flee from. It says flee youthful lust. That's 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee from idolatry. Flee from the love of money. Now, notice what he says. He's talking to Timothy. He says, but flee from these things, you man of God. Now, the way it's really written in the Greek, man of God is the very first of the sentence. It literally says, man of God, flee from these things. I want you to understand something, that a man or woman who seeks to live for God will flee from the pull of materialism, will flee from this sort of thing. That's what he says, get away from it. He calls Timothy a man of God. He's emphasizing that a man of God does this. And the man or woman who seeks to live for Jesus Christ will flee the pull of materialism. So the very first thing that he tells us to do is get away from this. You have to make a decision. Listen, there are a million things out there you can have. A million things that pull you every day. You've got to make a decision that these are not going to be the things that I build my life on. I'm going to get away from this stuff. I'm going to not let this be the thing that directs and pulls my life. You've got to decide that. Let me, let me just say something. You've got to have to decide what you're going to do with your life. There are many Christians, we're just in neutral. Let me tell you what we're doing. We think we're in neutral. We're just going through life. We don't even know what's happening. We are being conformed to a fallen world, and we don't even realize it's happening. We're unconsciously being conformed to this world, when we should be consciously transformed by the Word of God. 
And many of us, we go through life and we're just sort of in neutral and we think we're just making it fine. We don't realize what's happening to us. We're buying into everything that this world says is right. We think some of the things they think is funny is funny. And it's not. It's trash. We, we look at the, the values of the world and we say that's just the way it is. That's not just the way it is. You have to decide that you're going to be different. That's why he says, listen, you've got to get away from this stuff. It will ruin you. It will ruin you. That's what the passage says we saw last week in verses 9 and 10. The love of money will destroy you. People who desire to get rich, it will destroy you. So that's the first thing that he does. Now, then from there, he goes to a positive aspect. He says, pursue. Now, notice what he says. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue. And then he lists some things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, so many people think the Christian life is all the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But actually, the Christian life is mostly do's. It is walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. Study to show yourself to prove. Pray without ceasing. Uh, walk worthy of the calling. All of these different things that it says. So there's a lot of do's, you know. And what we want to do here, he says, listen, flee from these things. That's materialism and all that. But pursue the following things. It's not riches and money that we pursue. It is to be like Jesus Christ. As I said a while ago, you're going to have to decide what you want to do with your life. You want to be a neutral you just want to go through life, and when it's all over, you say, well, I made it. And when you stand before your Savior, Jesus Christ, is he going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Most likely not. If you have not chosen that your life is going to count for Christ, if you've not chosen that you're going to be a faithful man or a faithful woman and decide, I'm going to live for Christ from this day forward, I'm going to flee from this junk, and I'm going to pursue the following things. And when you stand before your Savior, he'll say, well done. Look at the things that he lists here. I'm going to go through them very quickly. He says, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue. And the first one is righteousness. Look what he says, righteousness. And he says, go after righteousness. Now, the truth is this. We are already righteous. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gives to you his righteousness. That's called imputation in the Bible. God actually imputes his righteousness to you. You are a righteous person. What he says is, I want you to pursue it. I want you to live out who you are. You live out as a righteous godly person. That's why Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. Live according to the scripture. Do the right thing. Live out as a child of God. That's the first thing he says for us to do. Look at the second thing. He says, pursue godliness. Now, this word godliness means doing what is pleasing to God. That's what he means. So he says, listen, I want you to flee this whole materialism end of it, but I want you to pursue being a righteous person. I want you to pursue being a godly person, which means living in such a way that God is pleased. You want to do that. There's a third thing, and that is faith. And the word literally had the ears being translated, it should be translated faithfulness. He said, pursue being a faithful person. This is not only a person that's trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, but is dependable, that lives for Christ. Let me tell you, if you you want to stand out in this world, just be a faithful person. Just do what you're supposed to do. Just show up. That's that's what faithfulness is. It's just being there. You hear people say, I'll be there at 8. They're not there at 8. In fact, you call at 8.30 and they still haven't left yet. I'm coming. I know I said I'd be there at 8, but faithfulness. Talk to people who, who have companies or, or, or hire people or people who work for them. Ask them how many people are faithful to be on time for work. It's embarrassing. We talked about this a couple several weeks ago, that Christians ought to be the best workers. We ought to be the most faithful ones. He says, pursue faithfulness. 
Because when you stand before Jesus Christ, what is he going to say? What do you want to hear him say? Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. That's what you want. So it's exciting when you say, man, I, w- I want to pursue faithfulness because that's what I want to hear him say. So he says, look, you flee from this materialistic stuff and you pursue living a righteous lifestyle and doing things that please God and being faithful. And then he gives us the fourth word. And it's the word love. That's really the key in the scripture, isn't it? To love people. In fact, they said, Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving others. Jesus changed it. He said, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. He went beyond it. Not just as, he says, don't just uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You love others as I love you. You need to look look around this room and you need to say, you know what? There are a lot of people in this room I don't even know. You say it. You could look around and say, I know some of these people. I, know some, I don't know some of these people. What we should do is look at them with love. We should realize that every person in this room is unique and special and gifted and created by God. And what we ought to do is show love one for another. Because if we don't show love for one another, the, the world's sure not going to do that. See, the world doesn't love. The world says, I love me. The Bible says, you love others. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, they will know that you belong to me by your love one for another. We want to stand out in this world? You be faithful. You want to stand out in this world? You love people. When you stand out in this world and love people, that is the difference. Galatians 5.13 says, by love serve one another. When you look around this room, you ought to say, you know what? I don't even know that person, but I love them. I love them because they're created by God and they're unique and special and they know Jesus Christ and, and we're all in this thing together and we're seeking to make an impact for Christ. So he says, you flee this materialism, this love of money and this, this idea of wanting to get rich and all that kind of stuff. He said, no, no, no. You pursue godliness. You pursue righteousness. You pursue faithfulness. You pursue love, loving God and loving others. And then he put another one up there. I put it here as patience, and my numeric standard says perseverance. It has the same idea. It's patience. A lot of times we want to say, well, let's forget that one. Let's go on to the next one, because patience is pretty hard. Do you know what patience means? It's two Greek words put together. It's hupomeno. Hupo means under. Meno means to remain. It means to remain under. It was used for a person who had like they were carrying a load, and they came up and they said, here, what do you want me to put this? And they said, hold on, just a minute, we'll tell you. And they're going, okay. And they're standing there with this load, and they're trying to be patient because they're under the load. We're under the load of life. You're going through life. You've got trials. You've got ups, downs. You've got everything else. He says, I want you to be patient. I want you to, to hang in there. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means you just keep on keeping on. That's what patience is. You don't quit. It's easy to want to quit. Listen, if you're involved in ministry, let me tell you something. Many of you don't even know what I'm talking about because you're not involved in ministry. But if you're involved in ministry, you know exactly what I'm going to say, that many times when you're involved in ministry, you want to quit because ministry is hard. Ministry is dealing with people. Ministry is, is, is in a fallen world system controlled by the devil. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against rural forces, world forces of, of wicked places. So you're in a spiritual battle. I was at a pastor's conference this last week. Actually, it was a GES conference, and, and a, a good, good friend of mine, and he's a pastor. And we got off to talk for a second, and the first thing he said to me is, he says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. 
I said, why? He said, I just, I just can't, I just can't keep doing this. I just, it's just too much. That's what ministry is. It's too much because it's got to be God's power through you. But let me tell you, when you do ministry, you're going to feel like quitting. That's why he says, listen, pursue perseverance, pursue patience, pursue keeping on, keeping on, doing what you're supposed to do day in and day out, running the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's got one more. That's gentleness. This word means to be kind. It means to show respect to people. That's what we're really supposed to do is respect others, aren't we? We look at them and realize that they are unique and special too. Created by God, made in the image of God. So he says this, I want you to flee the materialism and the love of money and that pull and all that rich stuff that, you, that, that the world wants you to do. And I want you to pursue being a righteous person, being a godly person, being a faithful person, being a loving person, being a person that's not going to give up, that's going to be patient, and being one who's gentle. Go after these things. But there's more. Here's the third one. He says, fight the good fight. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. Let me tell you what it says in Greek. It literally says this. Agonize the good agony. Because the word fight there is the word agonizo in Greek. It means to, to, we take the word and put it in English and we put the word agony. He literally says, agonize the good agony. Fight the good fight. Stand for Jesus Christ in this world. You know what you need to put on? You need to put on the armor of God. Many of us don't even realize we're in a fight. You don't even realize you're in a battle. You're over on the side going, I'll just stand over here. But you don't even have any armor on. You're in a battle whether you realize it or not. You know, I talk to men a lot. We, we do premarital counseling. When I get to the man, we always talk about their role and his loving leadership. But the man is the provider, protector of his family. We live in a culture that men don't even know how to be men anymore. They don't even know what they're supposed to do. They don't even realize they're the providers of their family and the protectors of their family. They don't even realize that. For every one of us in this room, you are in a spiritual battle. You are to fight the good fight. You remember how Paul, at the end of his life, he said, I have run the race, I have kept the faith, I have fought the good fight. That's what he said in 2 Timothy. We're in a battle, whether you realize it or not. Let me show you something you may not understand. Number one, we're not fighting people. The battle's not other people. The person who says, I don't believe the Bible, the person who says, I don't believe in God, the person who says, that's not our enemy. Our enemy's not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. So we're not fighting people. It's a spiritual battle. Let me show you what. We are soldiers of Jesus Christ. You better put your armor on. 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, stand in the grace. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You are in a spiritual battle. And so many of us don't even know that there's a battle going on. You have to be the ones to stand. A lot of you are young in here. You're the next generation of keeping this thing going. And standing for what's right. And making an impact for Jesus Christ. And you are a minority. There are a lot of people in this country, 80-something, almost 90% say they believe in God. That means absolutely nothing. The devil believes in God. 
you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He died and rose again. You have trusted Him and Him alone. You believe the Word of God. It is alive and powerful and sharpening to edged sword. You believe it is your job to make disciples, to go into a fallen world and to take the truth of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to stand and you're going to have to fight. And it will not be easy. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. He says, fight the good fight. We want to say at the end, I ran the race. I kept the faith. And I fought the good fight. That's what you want to do. Wow. Here's the next one. He says, grab hold. Notice he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Now you say, wait a minute, J.B., I thought I got the moment I believe in Jesus Christ. You always say you get eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. Right. When he says grab hold of eternal life, he's not saying trying to get eternal life. He's saying hold on to this eternal life and live in such a way as if you have eternal life. Live out eternally. See, some people live life temporally. All they care about is their stuff. I look at this, I look at this, I want this, I want this. We need to look at life from eternal because we have eternal life. We need to lay hold to the eternal life to which we are called. That's what he says. We need to live like one who sees things eternally, not temporally. So he's not saying try to get eternal life. You already have eternal life. He's saying live a life as one who has eternal life. Look at life in that way. You realize that, that what we have right here is really a dot. It's like about that big. And then eternal life just goes on forever. And so many people are just trying to grab everything they can get in this little dot, which absolutely means almost nothing. Stand for Christ now. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Live out as one who has Eternal life. Notice what it says about Timothy. It says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All it's saying is, Timothy, there is a time that you, you told people you believed in Jesus Christ. You stood for the truth. Let me ask you a question. Do people know you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? When we go out from these doors and you scatter into this community, do people know that you have believed in Jesus Christ and that you believe the Bible and you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him? Do you stand for that? Do the people know what you believe? So he says, flee and pursue and grab, excuse me, fight, grab hold, and there's one last one, and that is keep the commandment. Notice verse 13. Verse 13 and 14 go together. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Here it is, that you keep the commandment. He actually starts the charge in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God. And then it is to keep the commandment. Then he talks about God and he talks about Christ. But to keep the commandment, it's singular. He's not talking about a particular commandment. He's saying keep the truths of the word of God. The commandment to stand for Christ. The commandment to live for him. He says... Keep the commandment. Dwayne Lifton, who was one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, said this. He said, the commandment is broader than any single law. It's the entire body of sound teaching. He's basically saying, live by the Word of God. And that's what we're to do. Live by the Scripture. He says, I want you to get away from, I want you to get away from that materialism stuff, and I want you to go after righteousness and, 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 and all of that, and I want you to fight the good fight, and I want you to hold on to eternal life, and I want you to obey the Word of God. That's what it is, isn't it? Where else are you going to go? You're going to go to somebody's textbook that's going to change next week? 
Are you going to go to the eternal word of God that never changes, that you base your life upon? Notice how he says this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. And then he talks about God and then he talks about Christ. And then he says, keep the commandment. Look at what he says about God the Father. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. God the Father is the life giver. He is the creator. He spoke all things into being. He brings life and immortality to life, as he says. Realize that every child being formed in the mother's womb, Psalm 139, who's forming that life in the mother's womb? It is God. He is the creator. You realize how precious every person in this room and every person that's ever existed and ever will exist, how special they are? Let me ask you something. How do you view life? Let me ask you this. What do you think about that that baby in the womb? Is that a person? You think that's valuable? Think that's a real life? What about what about handicapped people? Because you're not even supposed to use the word handicapped anymore. Are they valuable? What about what about old people? They're just in our way. They're so slow. You try to walk and they walk like this and you want to go around them, right? And and you think about them and they can't talk, you know. And old people, you know what our culture says? Get them out of the way. What about our enemies? We got enemies all over. What do we do with those enemies? How do you view people? The young, the old, the handicapped, the babies, the enemies, all created by God, the life giver. Then he describes the Son. Notice he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. You know, whenever he puts Christ first, he's emphasizing his deity. If he says Jesus Christ, he's emphasizing his humanity. If he says Christ Jesus, he's emphasizing his deity. And he says, of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. You know what the confession before Pilate was? Pilate said, who are you? Jesus said, I'm the truth. Pilate said, what's the truth? Jesus said, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Messiah. That was his confession before Pilate. So when you think about these two, the Father and the Son, the Father here is listed as the Creator and the Son is the Redeemer. And so Paul says, I charge in the presence of God who is the Creator and Jesus Christ who is the Redeemer. Keep the commandment. Obey the Word of God. He goes on to say, and I'm going to go quickly. He says, uh, uh, keep the commandment without stain or reproach. Meaning he says, be a holy person. Live a holy life. Now, five things. Flee materialism. Pursue righteous living. Fight the good fight. Grab hold of eternal life. Live as one who has eternal life. And obey the Word of God. If you will do those things. You will not be caught up in materialism. You will live in such a way that when you stand before your Savior, He will say, Good job. Well done. You were faithful. 1 John chapter 2 says, You could be ashamed at His coming. And when you stand before your Savior, you don't want to be ashamed. You want to live your life in such a way that you'll hear him say, well done. Now, notice what he says to Paul. He says, keep, but Paul says to Timothy, keep the command without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The appearing of Jesus Christ. He's talking about what we call the rapture. Let me tell you, I mentioned this a while ago. There are no signs for the rapture. 
There are many signs for the second coming of Christ. There's going to have to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be, have to be a, an antichrist come up. There's going to have to be a one world government. There's going to have to be a man put an idol up in a temple in Jerusalem and claim to be God. There's going to have to be all those things happen before Jesus Christ comes the second time as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There are a lot of signs for the second coming. There are no signs at all for the rapture. He could come at any second. That's why people say things like, you think we're in the last days? Of course we're in the last days. He can come at any second. There's nothing to be fulfilled. He says, you live this way as you are awaiting the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful. Titus 2.13 talks about looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you wake up in the morning and you think that he could come this day, this moment, you realize you don't have much time left. And you realize that you don't need to pursue the material things of this world, but you need to be a righteous, godly, loving, truthful, fighting the good fight, living eternally, obeying the Scripture as you wait for Him to come, because He could come at any second. That's what you want. Notice verse 15, and that's all I'm just going to touch on the first part of the verse. He says at the very end of 14, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. When it's time, Jesus Christ is coming. And it could be any second. There's no way to know. God didn't give us any timetable. Anybody that starts telling you, I think it's going to be on um, April 14th, you know, listen, just don't worry about it. There are no dates. There's no way to know. He's going to come just like that. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be taken off this earth. If you think we have fun here and now, think what's going to happen. You will get to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. Well, what does he say? He says, listen, he deals with materialism and riches. He says, flee this, pursue this, grab hold, obey, fight. He describes the Father and the Son. And he says, live holy as you wait the return of Christ. So let me give you some applications. First one is, don't get caught up in materialism, riches, and the love of money. Don't get caught up in this. It is so easy in our culture to do it. Many of you are in college and you say, well, I'm in college so I can get a good job. Why do you want a good job? So I can make money. Why do you want to make money? So I can have a big house and a car, all the stuff that everybody else wants. Don't get caught up into that. It's okay to have a house and a car. It's okay to have money. Don't love it. Don't pursue it. Live for the glory of God. Let Him take care of all that stuff. If you get a job, get a job and do it for the glory of God like we saw earlier. So what do we do? Well, we flee. We flee from the materialism of this world. In fact, some of you and some of us, in fact, all of us need to downsize most likely. We need to say, listen, I got too much of this stuff. Right? Don't we have too much of everything? I mean, you go in there and you got how many shirts? We don't even wear most of them. Flee that. But pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue love and gentleness and, and, and those kind of things. And fight the good fight. You better put on the armor. Because it is a good fight. Grab a hold of eternal life. Live as one who has eternal life. Because you do. See things from the eternal. And last but not least, obey the commandment. That means live by the word of God.
It's powerful. Second thing is praise God. Praise God for who He is and what He's done. He's the Creator and Redeemer. He's the Father who is the Creator of all things. As Jesus Christ who is the Redeemer. Jesus came and died and rose again. Gives eternal life. He's the Redeemer. Praise God for who He is. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning. We come together on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. We come together to do two things. To worship our God and Savior and to be equipped and trained to serve Him. That's why we teach the Bible. So you come this morning to worship God, to praise Him for who He is and what He's done. And then we take the truths that He's given to us and we say, I want my life to change. I want to obey the Word of God so I can be equipped to serve. Last but not least, live godly as we await the return of Jesus Christ. He could come in any second. He's going to come in the clouds, and we're going to be up there with him. So as we await the return of Jesus Christ, may we not be caught up in the materialism of this world, but be godly men and women living by the word of God as we await the return of our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all the stuff that's in there. There's just so much there. Lord, I just pray, first of all, we don't get caught up in this materialism and riches and love of money and all that. Flee it, Lord. We want to, we want to get away from it and we want to pursue godliness and living a righteous lifestyle and we want to fight the good fight, putting on the armor, being ready to fight. We want to realize that we have eternal life and we want to grab hold and live for the eternal rather than the temporal. And Lord, we want to live by the Word of God. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Creator and Redeemer, Savior, thank you for all of that. And Lord, as we, as we await your return, we want to live in such a way that when you come and we stand before you, you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.